everyone, and a massive welcome to the next episode of the CISO Experience. I believe actually this is episode 15 of the CISO Experience, and it's been a massive learning journey so far. My name's Simon Instead. I'm the host and founder of the InfoSec Live community. And before we begin today and bring on our guests, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you are watching this live, please do like and subscribe to our content. Please do jump in the chat and ask any questions throughout the event. We want to try and make this as interactive and engaging as possible. And for those of you watching the replay, again, please do drop your comments and thoughts in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can improve the show or if you're enjoying it, either or, absolutely fine. And a bit about the InfoSec Live community. For those that don't know, we're an independent social network community of 3,000 cyber professionals sharing best ideas and practice. And we've been around since June last year. Um, I think the world's first dedicated security social network. And this show has been created to help further the sharing of best ideas and practice with our industry's leaders and to provide extra learning opportunities for the whole community. And the reason we're able to do this and the reason we can continue to do this effectively for free within the community is the fact that we've got a sponsor. And our sponsor for this event is Bramfit Technology Lab. So a little bit about them before we begin. They're an international cybersecurity consultancy leading the way in innovation and cyber resilience. And their entire team is owner managed and works on a linear structure, drawing expertise from the military, government, finance and technology industry. And together they provide support and collaboration to those who protect company assets and sensitive data. They lead in technical cyber consulting focused on embedding a security, a culture of security, sorry, with its clients. And through research, education and execution, Bramfit helped to protect your systems and your reputation. And one of my favorite quotes from the CEO, Lewis Bramfit, is this. If you're a CISO suffering from big four fatigue, reach out to Bramfit today to see how they can help. I'll drop the link into them later on in the show. But for now, without further ado, I've got a really exciting guest for us today. We've got Garrett Smiley. Uh, Garrett is a senior executive with operational technology, educational and management experience in federal, military and private industry with special expertise in operations, project and program government governance, for example, association management, biz ops, consulting financial management, governance, risk management and compliance or GRC, people management, project program management and security and technology leadership also. So without further ado, I don't want to spoil the intro. I think Garrett telling us about himself will make more sense. Quick stinger and we'll bring him straight on. Hey, Garrett, thanks ever so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank, I think um, before we go on, I'm ever so hot. If you don't mind, I'm going to slip my suit jacket off. I understand. You guys have been having a lot of that over there. Well, we're, we're not used to it, Garrett, really. I mean, I'm not no. one of the British people who's complaining, though, because I do like the heat. However, <laughs> my, my garden that used to be half an acre of beautiful green grass is now like brown scrubland. So uh, I'm, I'm yeah. welcoming... I'm welcoming the thunderstorm that's meant to come later. Um, so, Garrett, before we begin, could you give everyone a bit of background about yourself, please? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a CISO and a security professional, so I would imagine most of the people watching this are uh, of the same ilk. Uh, as far as my background, I've been uh, doing technology-related stuff for, I don't know, 26 years uh, 22 of that has probably been a little bit more focused in what I guess would be called, you know, IT writ large and really focused on information security probably for the last 15 to 18 years of that um, with various levels of uh, alleged importance as, I, as my career <laughs> moved along. Um, the, yeah, the, I think the one thing that's unique about me 
or maybe not unique, but maybe a, a little different flavors to so as I'm, uh, I have very much an educational background. I'm, I'm also an, an adjunct uh, dissertation chair. So people get their PhDs in uh, various business areas, finance, as well as technology. Um, so education is kind of a passion, but uh, being a CISO definitely helps pay the bills. So that's kind of how that works. It's, it's, re it's really refreshing to hear that on the education piece. And I'll tell you the main reason why is I think out of the last 14 shows, the biggest challenge that's come up with all of the CISOs is that lack of education and awareness. You know, our industry is full of amazing marketing campaigns and amazing silver bullet solutions that seem to get sold. But it seems the fundamentals, the basics, the people, the, the processes are the things that are missing out at the moment. Yeah, education is important. I, I've had I've had people ask me before, well, how does that experience help you be, you know, help you be better at your day job um, of being a CISO? And, and I said, well, I think it has helped me be better at any job I've had, because as an educator, you have to understand your audience in order to be able to speak with them and teach to them. Um, if you don't understand the audience and you don't know the correct protocol, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, it's not going to work very well for you um, because you're not going to be able to do the things you need to do, especially when you're asking people and doing things that are inconvenient or, you know, yeah. tough. Or, or asking or asking for money, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always uh, my experience with that has always been a circuitous one. I mean, there's never a. Here's point A to point B. It's a straight line. I ask, you give. No. Uh, there's no. a lot of um, political um, machinations that go on with that. Some are completely absurd. Uh, but, you know, that's that's part of being a CISO. You've got to be able to navigate the absurdities and the, the political picadillos, if you will, um, of the environment that you're in. Um, so, for example, if you work at a company where you, you can't get money even if you're holding their their grandkids hostage, um, but yet um, they say well, they loosen the purse strings when they're going through mergers and acquisitions. Well, and that's when the time you strike. Yeah. So, you know, even though the reason why you may be getting it is uh, kind of stupid, to be perfectly blunt. Um, you know that you need it for the reasons you need it for. And so at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter as much. And that's unique so playing, to everybody. Playing the, game, playing the game a little bit. Yeah, it's unique to everybody, right? Because every different company functions differently as far as who holds the purse strings and who you need to go to to get money, to get investments. And the process by which you do that is uniquely different. Like even in my own organization, you know, people do it in the, the the parent organization in the UK is different than how it's done here in, in the States. It's just different. Um, it's because we're, we're awkward over here. Well, no, no. I mean, you know, like for example, in, in, in the parent organization um, over there, um, you know, we, we have very specifically defined investment committees and there's a, a very stringent rigor and process behind that. Whereas we have other drivers where we go through different stringent processes, but they're not necessarily investment committees. So it's just different. Is, but, it, is, that, is that driven by the political landscape or is it just due to the location? Oh yeah. yeah. Politics is always driving where you spend money without, yeah. without a doubt. And, and, and sometimes those conversations just border on the absurd because you're like, okay, well, 
if we're just going through an exercise, why are we even having the conversation? So, yeah, yeah you, you have those frustrations, but the, the, the long and short of it is, um, and I think this is a generally adopted position for most InfoSec folks, especially, you know, the leadership levels, you know, the, you go to the, you go to the top of the company, right? Uh, CEO, whatever you want to call him and you say, or her, and you say, Hey, you know, what's your mission? What's your focus? They're going to tell you, well, um, if we're a for-profit company, it's going to be to make money yeah, and to continue to be in business. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then you, you, for example, then you go to the CIO and you go, well, what's your mission? What's your focus? Well, the CIO's mission and focus is going to be to keep the technical trains running on time. It's about availability. It's about delivering, you know, technical support service. That's their 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 function and their mission. Would you, would you, you say to... would you say it's enabling the CEO to achieve what they want? Absolutely. There's a lot of a lot of debate around. Absolutely. Whether cyber is an enabler or not at the moment, so I thought. Well, I'd... and I and I and as I would imagine, most of the security people watching here, there is a massive distinction between IT and, and information security. Massive distinction. Uh, unfortunately, it's one that's not well understood. Uh, there's still a lot of deep immaturity in regards to not even understanding the basic mission and vision there, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss it here. So. You know, CEO make money and make sure the company continues to prosper. CIO's focus is to make sure the technical trains keep running on time and that they're in support of the CEO and the mission of the overall organization. And when it comes to InfoSec, our job is to to enable. And I know that there's some heartburn. Some will say, well, it's not our job to enable. But I would say it's to enable, but to enable securely. Yeah. in alignment with the organization's risk appetite. Um, InfoSec folks at our core are risk management folks, risk advisory folks. Anybody that says different, I'm like, I, I just, I don't think you understand why we're here. Because if, for example, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, you got that asset there that has a bunch of sensitive information on it. If I remove all the sensitive information away from that asset, there's, there's none on that asset anymore. And let's say the asset costs, I don't know, $25,000. And somebody comes and pours a big jug of water on it and the asset's gone, assuming it's like a physical one, right? Yeah. If the value of the data that was pulled off there is $3 million, does the CISO really care that that $25,000 device was just destroyed? No, the CIO does. But <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? So Absolutely. for me, the yeah. massive risk there was that that, you know, and you have a data breach against that that data, it, it, and the device is still whole. Yeah, yeah. I'm concerned now. No, no one's no one's going to be pleased. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the point is, I I love the analogy of if the organization is a car, information security is brakes. Now, a lot of people don't like that. Because they go, oh, you're stopping stuff. You're the department of no. You're doctor no, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I will never get in a car and go 80, 90 miles an hour. And sorry, I'm being very U.S. here with my miles per hour. But you get it. Uh, with I'm not going uh, to get in a car and go really fast if I know that there are no brakes or that the brakes don't work. I'm Absolutely. not going to do that. Brakes allow you to go fast. Yeah. 
and, and that's and that and the people are like, oh, it's radical. No, no, it's not radical. Think about it. You wouldn't get in a car and go fast if you knew that the brake lines were cut. No, it's, unless it's, you're it's in an very... action movie and you're a stunt double, maybe you do it then. But you're 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 not going to do it otherwise, right? No. So that's my job. My job is to enable the organization to achieve their mission and and get to their vision securely. Thank in you. alignment just, to the risk appetite. Just yeah. want to jump in quickly, Garrett, because I've got a problem with my chat function on the stream today. So I can see everyone jumping in the chat on the main screen. But when it comes to me replying, I'm unable to reply. So a massive apologies for everyone tuning in for that. And I just want to say a quick hello to Susan. Really appreciate you tuning in, as well as Eric and Greg as well. I see Splodge there and Joseph from Aspire and Search. If you do have any questions, I will read them out. So please do keep engaged and drop them in the chat. Thank you. Um, so, Garrett, enablement, I completely agree. Um, there's been lots of debate on that and lots of things, terminologies and all sorts of things people are squabbling about at the moment. But one of the things I did want to talk about today quickly was insurance. And the reason for that is twofold. One, I spent 20 years in the insurance industry. And two, Lloyds of London came out, I think, 10 or 12 days ago now, with a statement about restrictions on potential cover. And I wanted to get your thoughts, not perhaps on Lloyd's in particular, but on the insurance market as a whole. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. This is kind of like we were discussing before we went live here today. Uh, the, the trend right now on, you know, kind of the customer side with insurance, especially with cyber liability insurance, is to forego it. And one of the reasons why companies are foregoing it is because it really doesn't cover that much, if anything at all. And, and, and it's not so much about, well, you don't get a payout. It's like, well, when could you get a payout? What are the yeah. constraints around you getting a payout? Um, you know, for example, if, 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 a if a company has cyber liability insurance, right? And let's say they have really good coverage for what that typically is. But let's say that same company is based in the UK. They have a massive breach. EU citizen data flying out the door with their partners. That insurance is not going to protect you from the, the fines that are going to occur. So I'm just using that as an example. So not only are a lot of people looking to forego it, uh, you know, we were discussing before about self-insuring, where it's like, well, how much, how much insurance coverage do I need? Yeah. Okay. I need $10 million. Okay. Well, let's self-insure for that. And if we're required to park that money somewhere, uh, you know, I won't act like I really know the, the details of self-insuring, but those are the types of conversations that I've been seeing, not only in my own organization, but, but elsewhere. And that's, it's, that's I mean, I suppose you could say it's, it's getting towards the capital adequacy requirements you see on banks and financial institutions where, you know, by, by regulatory law, they're made to hold a certain amount of assets right. or liquid assets. They're ready for, a, for, you know, the next banking crash or whatever it might be. Yeah, it, it's a similar thing, right? Exactly. So the, the long and short of it is what are you required to have, whether it's regulatory or you're contractually obligated to do it or whatever it is, what are you required to have? That's what you're going to have. So if I'm required to have $5 worth, yeah, I'm going to break out my billfold and I'm going to hand you $5. <laughs> I wish I wish it was that. I know the firm. No, I'm, no. I know the no, firm, I, firm I'm working yeah. with at the moment, Garrett. Theirs is more than doubled in the last year, and there are some right, yeah, and, well. and and that's only driving these um, positions of 
uh, exploring self-insurance and, and so on and so forth. So. We've we've got a couple of questions in the chat. Not that I can bring them up because my feed's broken. But Splodger said, uh, having been through NetPlus, CISA Plus, and CEH and ISO IEC two seven zero zero one certs, the primary thing on all of these is basic security, whether it is technical. And I can't read the rest. Don't know what your thoughts are on that. Can you see the chat your end, Gary? Yeah, I, I can. I'm. I'm. I'm I'll tell you what. Then bear with. I'm going to refresh my screen. I might drop off for, for five seconds if I do. If you could juggle or something to keep people entertained. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that'll refresh my chat. One sec. Right, I've switched places whether whether that'll yeah. make any difference. Right, I can see the chat again now. So the chat's disappeared from the screen, but it will come back as people come in. So thanks for okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Well, to to your to your last, your last comment, comment. Um, the 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 question was, you know, having been through Net Plus, CYSA Plus, CEH, and ISO um, twenty seven thousand and one certs, the primary thing on all these is basic security. Yeah, yes. you know, the I'll just kind of riff on that a little bit. I, I will right. say that I am I am constantly um, pointing out to people where things are requirements. Um, and I like doing that because when they're requirements, they're not my requirements. Nobody cares about that if we're trying. Um I point out that they're their customers' requirements. I mean, at least for us, I work at a federal contractor, so kind of the the unit of measure that we care the most about is what's in the contract. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's then further influenced by regulatory specifics or laws or whatever, right? But for us, that's kind of the thing that focuses the mind. Um, so I that's I don't want to say that's easy, but it's extremely clarifying. One of the challenges I have is when I am making recommendations and some of will say, well, are we required to do that for compliance reasons? I'll be like, well, no, you're compliant. You're required to do that for common sense reasons. <laughs> yeah, that seems a bit that, lacking in some places, though, Garrett. Well, I mean, and it, and, it, and it probably just sounds like I'm being a smart aleck. But what I mean by that is if 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 compliance requirements are not covering enough they're not detailed enough you're not necessarily going to see everything covered so that's that's not that's not really the most mature response probably the kindest way i can put it but i, I still deal with that where i'll say look you got letter of the law and you got spirit of the law folks um we're not going to spend a lot of energy discussing letter of the law because if you're not doing it and somebody external who can make your life really really bad and take away all your money finds that out you've been told that's yeah. the end of it. You can only bully and beat up me just because I work here, but I can promise you they won't work here. And that's those same tricks won't work. It, it is more challenging when, when it comes to, Hey, don't do it that way. Just don't do it. Badness lies that way. Don't do it. You, you're going to get your brain brains breached out. Don't do it. You are. Uh, Susan's point as well. Susan's point as well, Garrett here. I completely agree with you, Susan. This is what I see. Policy and compliance in relation to ISO, the security must match the process, but this isn't happening. They get this certificate. Mm -hmm. They tick the boxes, but then right. thereafter it doesn't right. work. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something funny that I'm sure most of the people on, on chat can relate to. Um, you get a different answer from different executives in the organization when you ask them about assessment and audit, audit readiness. <laughs> I won't name any names, but you, you go to certain people and you could say, well, we have documentation. We're awesome. I, I know. I looked in the mirror this morning. I saw an awesome guy there. Okay, okay. I got it. Ask me what I think readiness is. And, you know, we talk about organizational certifications like, you know, related to ISO 27001, for example. There are many others. I'll say we're ready when whoever the custodian of said requirement or control is can be randomly stopped by an assessor and auditor in the hallway. And they don't say, we don't do that. I don't know what that is. Yeah. When we're at the point where they go, oh, yeah, yeah, here's how we do that. Oh, can you show me some evidence that backs that up aside from, you know, um, shelfware that you never use in regards to your your SOP or your process document? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I can provide you an artifact or we can go and get you an artifact that shows that this process is truly operational. It's baked into how we do things daily. There you go. That's security, period. End of story. If it's, it's just lip service, you're like, well, we're aspiring to be awesome. Yeah, well, who isn't? What are you actually doing today? Um, and, and most organizational certs, if they're worth a darn, um, they have a heavy maturity component tied to them or a heavy process component where you're really kind of showing or proving out that process. Um, so yeah, that, that totally resonates with me. Process is security all day long. Cause if you don't know what your process is or you don't follow it, I mean, what are you, what's going on? I don't know. So. I don't, don't ask me. I'm clueless. I'm just, I'm yeah, just here it, for it, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, and, and the, and the, and the key thing there, especially with these organizational certs, I know people love to get hung up on, oh, it's all technical controls. No, it isn't. It's all process related controls. How are you doing this thing? What are you doing to do this thing? Some are technical, sure. Some aren't. I mean, there's plenty, there's entire families of controls dedicated to physical security, personnel yep. security. I could go on, but you, you get the idea. So that's where we tend to have the challenges when I'll I'll try and go and get ready for an audit. It'll be the people who aren't normally going through audits. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of audits. I'm not a fan of audits. Let's move on from the audit discussion. Okay. It brings back, okay. brings back nightmares from the regulatory right. authorities in yeah, the UK. Trying to, not trying to enact PTSD there. Sorry, no, no, it's all right. It's fine. I'm over it now. Um, Eric Abina, I had a chat with Eric this morning. Actually, he, he isn't an expert in the field, but he is trying to break in. He's been doing lots of work on it. Um, I think AppSec and DevSecOps is kind of where he's been focused. But you mentioned it a moment ago, and the reason I brought this up is you see a lot of people hung up on certifications um, on LinkedIn with regards to their cyber journey. There's definitely a place for it. Whether it's the be-all and end-all is, is an argument that I'll happily have with anyone because I don't think it is. But in your experience, which cybersecurity skill, which I like the best about the question, do you think someone new to the field should focus on? That's a broad one, which is why I gave you a bit of context with regards to what he's doing. Yeah, Um so I'm going to answer it two ways. One, um, there's no one particular skill. So if we're referring to like a focused area, right? Um, DevSecOps is a good one. But if, but if I right now was to tell you what's the one area where there's the most lacking people to apply 
to jobs that are out there and that it's really, really hard to grow the pod people to take the jobs. It's really anything related to cloud security. Yeah, it really is. Because here's the truth of the matter. Uh, even those that are saying that they do DevSecOps, they probably don't really do it. They probably just do it's my favorite less, subject. They probably do a less busted version of Agile, if we're honest. Do you know, uh, so my, my um, experience of the industry is very short, um, despite being of advanced years. And I went to my first conference in San Francisco to RSA earlier on this year. So let's talk about buzzwords, because that's all I heard when I was there. And I think one of the biggest ones is, it's the wrong way, shift left, isn't it? And it did make me chuckle a bit. I'm not a techie, but from what I'm seeing with a lot of tools, the tools out there that are kind of the SAST and DAS scanning type tools that the companies are saying to shift left with, are they actually shifting left, Garrett? I don't know. It goes back to process. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, you have to understand that shift left has been with us for forever. It's it, uh, let me get it to you another way. Bake it in versus ice it on. Sorry, my Apple Watch is joining in. No, that's that's fine. Hello, Siri. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's bake it in versus ice it on. Yeah. In other words, I spend a lot of my days preaching the gospel of proper systems engineering. And people are like, why do you spend so much time doing that? I go, well, what's the first step? Requirements definition. What the hell are we trying to do here, guys? Baseline the requirements. Get the requirements from all the stakeholders. So it isn't just InfoSec weighing in and trying to make your life difficult. It's everybody. It's yeah. ops. It's the customer. It's it's all of this. And then you bring that together and you start developing, you know, reference architectures and overall solutions based on requirements sets. And then you take a look at that, and then it's where you can apply your security architectural goodness. Okay, I see what you're laying out here, but here's a better way of doing it. No, don't do it this way. You're leaving our, you know, you're putting passwords in the clear or whatever you're doing. And I, I talk about that all the time. I go, when, when good systems engineers show up, I have the bestest friends in the world. When we decide that's optional, it is a you-know-what show of the highest order. And remains one well into implementation. Yeah. So yeah. So it's all about that process. It's all it's all about that process and the way you set it up because you know there's a reason why we all know that Patch Tuesday is a thing, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. Yeah. yeah. I think going back to the question for people breaking in, I had a an interesting conversation with a CISO yesterday, Adam Bricker, and he's helped a few different young people and people pivoting going through. And, and he, he, he comes at it from a different way that I've ever thought of before. And he says that there's three categories of people and it's different for, for those three types. And I don't know whether we can be that specific, but I'd like to know your thoughts. So one is career pivoters, I suppose, like myself, whether it's someone pivoting from financial services, whether it's someone transitioning from the military, they bring with them, I suppose, a prerequisite of learned skills that can be applied in certain ways. You've then got the, the noobs, the new people who have just finished university or just starting studying. You've obviously come in on a, a different journey. And then the last group that he mentioned were people who already work in IT. And I thought that was quite a good way of looking at ways to come in because all you seem to see online, you know, my, my perspective a couple of years ago is I was either going to be a SOC analyst or a pen tester because they were the only two jobs. 
that I knew about. And I think the, the other show that we do, Which Cyber Pathway, we're trying to dispel some of those myths and talk about the 50, 60 odd roles that there are in cyber that perhaps, again, for people of older years or with more experience, don't necessarily think it has to be an entry level role straight away either. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's all That's all fair. I'll, I'll just tell you my own lived experience, and you can kind of glean from Please. that what you will. As, as somebody who's in a position who needs to hire from time to time, and as somebody who has lost half his staff this year to turnover, I don't think you have to tell me the value in getting and keeping good people, but you need to bring in those who are going to be able to do the job. So how do you do that when you start from a place of, you know, less than experience, less than hitting the ground running for whatever the, the, the role is. The only way you're going to do that is if you show with intention that you want to do that. Yeah. What do I mean by that? Set up your own lab. There's plenty of freeware out there. There's plenty of free resources where you can show me, hey, as a pen tester, I've done this, 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 and this. All right. You know, you're a pen tester. You install Kali Linux. You're working with that. Burp Suite. What you doing here? What 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 have you shown me where you can do it for free and do yeah. it out of your your spare time? Internships, joining organizations that do capture the flag. I mean, I'm just giving some examples here, but it also depends on the discipline too, right? Like if you're looking to get into the assurance side of things and do GRC type work, um, does is a background in IT or infosec extremely helpful? Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. But is it necessary? Well, you got to get to the point where you really know the control sets and the frameworks, like you know yeah. them and you know how they're operationalized. And having that practical experience really helps with that. It really does. So it just depends. I mean, we have people out there that, you know, I've had people ask me before, hey, should I go down the path of um, doing digital forensics? And, you know, would it make sense for me to pursue in-case certifications? I'm like, yeah, it's it's pretty niche, but when people need that, they need that. But speaking from the position of somebody who has people at hire, because by the way, I don't try and make unilateral decisions. We, what we do internally is we actually have people sit for panel interviews and, I, and I'll be the first one to say, I think panel interviews are straight from the third rung of hell, but <laughs> not everyone's that, cup of tea. No, I agree. Well, no, and I understand why I I've been through a couple in past lives and they only produce really awesome war stories of, about what, why not to do panel interviews but yeah. um i digress the, the point is simply this we have the senior folks on my team do these interviews to where they can all speak to the person in the same hour or whatever it is and then they grade them against kind of a likert scale type thing one to five and it's soft skills and hard skills it's yeah. problem solving skills it's communication it's technical understanding so it's not just the technical piece it's how are they going to get along with the team are they going to support the team? Because they're viewing it very cynically. If this person is hired, is my life going to get easier or harder? Am I going to be more likely to be burned out or less likely to be burned out? Very, very simple math there. When the smart ones come in and they show them, hey, you're going to be enjoying me being here. I promise you. Yeah. Um, so it goes back to that intention. Show me with intention you want to enter the industry. Um, and that's going to require sacrifice and um, things on your part. And it's not necessarily monetarily. It really isn't. I can tell you the people that I've brought on for internships, the people that I've given a chance, 
have all shown hustle. They all showed intention. And they can show yeah. it in a variety of ways. It can just be, hey, I went and got my security plus and nobody told me to do that. Great. That's a great indicator. I take that data point and I move on. Hey, I, I interned over here. Or, hey, I'm doing these online courses that are free. All of it's helpful because it shows intent. Yeah. I so, think it's, it's the other thing that came up yesterday in the conversation, actually, is I think the things he said, but the, the true traits that he looks for are hard work, perseverance, and dedication. Because the, I've said this before, there's lots of money to be made in this industry. Don't get me wrong, but there is definitely easier ways to make money if you haven't got a passion for it because the learning curve never stops, does it? No, it doesn't. No. It, if you're a lazy student, uh, security is not for you. No. You're not. Because you're, you're helping those who manage technical estates in the cloud, on-prem, hybrid, whatever it may be, you're helping them secure that. How are you going to secure that if you don't know what that is? Exactly. I mean, it's challenging. Yeah, it yeah. And you, you talk about DevSecOps, right? For example, I'm like, I don't know how you secure things that are being written with Java and C Sharp if you don't really understand Java and C Sharp. You know, the, the tools is one level, SAST and DAST and SCA and IS and all that. Yeah, okay, okay, I get that. But that's kind of surfacey and managerially. Um, yeah. And it's good, it's needed, but there are levels to it, right? And the deeper you go, um, the more you start realizing that you really have to get application development people becoming security people and bridging that divide before you're yeah. really going to shift left to bother bar it's, it's in, in, embedding the, embedding the culture within the organization and within the team yeah, and, and another absolutely. another another buzzword i hear a lot is um i can't remember what it is now uh what, what do they give the job title to people who they want to become there we go security champion dragged it up from the back of my mind there i think that works in some cases but i've also seen security champions being given the title with no extra money and no kind of reason to do the job so i think I've seen it work. I've seen it happen. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, my thing is you can give somebody a title, you know, and I've given myself several ridiculous titles on LinkedIn and I don't think it had much of anything to do with. I think the grand poo bar one's the best. I love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's challenging, right? Because at the end of the day, and I think we all know this, whoever you're reporting into is going to have a large influence on your agenda and the prior the prioritization of your work right and it probably it sounds a little silly for me to even mention it that way but it's true um and so if your boss is telling you do x y and z and i need you to do it in five minutes as opposed to the hour it would take to do it properly and securely and with a, an appropriate risk approach you're gonna have some problems there you're gonna yeah. have some problems so to me it comes back to who has the locus of control on their schedule and their agenda and what they're doing? Who's setting their priorities? Because if because if security is not setting their priority, security is not going to be their priority. No. And then it's a question of, well, will it be any priority? Will it even be in the mix? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good point. Um, Susan's mentioned that uh, there's a lack of shortage in skills. There's also a lack of student intake within the industry and the gap is increasing exponentially. There's more and more employees leaving the industry due to the stress related with the job and their tasks change on, I think it says, daily basis. I mean, that burnout we see mentioned a lot 
on LinkedIn. I think, again, it's back to the culture word, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. I've seen people join uh-huh. toxic organizations where they burn out in six months, and I've seen the opposite, too. Well, you know, I, I think if I'm honest, I've yet to experience an organization that was completely free of toxicity. Yeah. Now, the one thing I'd like to tell people, and this goes back to the way we interview folks, is at least within the InfoSec team, we we really have strong locus of control over our culture. Um, that is influenced by who we hire. Uh, it's not just, you know, getting along to go along, but it's we support one another and we all have a common understanding of what we're trying to do. We're trying to play make this place safer and less riskier as it relates to, you know, how people do things. And if we are all in agreement about that and we all get along and we're all helping one another, our culture is going to be pretty healthy, right? Is that going to be necessarily reflective of the organization overall or other groups? No, it's not. That's just the reality. So when people say in a monolith, that company's, you know, culture is awesome. I'm like, well, it's not oh, one maybe, maybe in one bit it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and it might be good across the board and it, and it might be lousy and they're lying to themselves so they can get another award this year. Right. <laughs> You're, you're as cynical as me, Garrett. I love it. Yeah, well, you know, we won't we won't talk about pay to play awards. Chicken, chicken egg, egg, chicken. I I don't know if the cynicism came before the CISO or it was just enhanced by it, but yeah. So I think I'm I'm just a grumpy old man, is what I am. So I can't even blame it on being a CISO because I'm not one. I'm just a miserable I'm, fifty year old. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm clearly working on that when I grow up. Right? Yeah. Um, Susan's mentioned as well. Thanks for jumping in again, Susan. What's your opinion on Go? This language is being used with the criminals in society. I have no idea what that is, so I'm hoping Garrett does. Uh, yeah, I have to confess ignorance on that. Um, we'll, we'll move on to Go. Go is generally, yeah, Go is generally what I'm told by senior execs when I tell them they're they're messing up and they need to stop. But just go out of my office. But yeah, I, I don't know. Sorry. I'm sure you quite enjoy that, really. <laughs> Susan, maybe maybe you could explain or drop a link in what that is. I'm interested. Yeah, I, I yeah I I, uh, I was explaining to somebody this morning um, uh, why is it that the that the CISO role seems to be one in which if you're really doing your job well and consistently, you're being yelled at all the time. But anyway. uh, like it's a reward. Yeah, uh, it's something. Anyway. Uh, well, they say, I mean, I've, I've got six children, so I know how kind of the behavioral thing works. And sometimes children just want attention, whether that's being told off or not. Perhaps that's it. Yeah, I would I would like to make it when I get yelled at that that would activate the pleasure center of my brain. But it doesn't, doesn't it's not working that way so far. No, Greg, Greg's mentioned. What are your thoughts on second brain? Well, I, I've got a brain with a raincoat on, so I can't really talk about retaining knowledge at my age. But how to retain information and what tools do you favor for building a team knowledge base? Good question, Greg. Yeah, that is a good question. That's uh, kind of a holy grail thing, right? I mean, at least in my experience, um, that retaining and transferring of knowledge has has been kind of elusive in my career at all the departments where I've worked. Um, we're always trying to document our process holistically, which in and of itself is a massive challenge. But even once you get to that point, main Maintaining that shelfware is largely thankless, I think, if we're honest. 
So we have a lot of conversations, and I think it's appropriate. We have a lot of conversations about how do we get our process not only to the point where it's defined, but it's automated. Um, because you can't automate what you don't know, right? I've, I've had people say things that were just beyond amusing. You know, they're like, we're just going to automate all of it. And I'm like, automate what? You, you don't have a process. What is it you're automating besides my aggravation on loop? Um, anyway, but yeah, I mean, it's a challenge, right? Because I mean, you, you, you want to get things to the point where you're automating as many processes as possible, but you still have to have a, a documentation trail and you still have to have the ability to convey that when employee one leaves and employee two comes in, how do you transfer that, right? Because then if you just automate a bunch of stuff and it starts breaking and nobody knows how it's automated or where or why or how, you're actually worse off than if you hadn't automated it. So there's challenges there. Too. I see Su Susan's interested in the brain knowledge. Yeah, I am. But I'll go back to my previous comment. I feel like my brain's gone from being a sponge to one with a raincoat over it now. No matter how much I try and ingest, it sort of just runs off. But hopefully not everyone has that problem. The, the more disciplines that uh, uh, InfoSec is trying to manage and take care of, the more of a challenge that can be. I mean, we're, you know, we, we talk about the labor shortage. You know, we, we also, all of us struggle to some degree, some of us violently so, with just having a complete lack of appropriate staff augment yeah. due to, you know, bean counters, um, dictums generally and other constraints that are legitimate some not so much um but i don't i don't think i've ever ever encountered a CISO where they're like you know i have exactly the amount of people i need for no. the unmanaged I think that, I mean, the, the industry at the moment as well is it's crazy with regards to salaries and i don't want to upset anyone who's watching this but it seems that i don't know if they're sustainable at the level they're at we've seen massive amounts of you know venture capitalist investment, private equity investment into the industry. And when you look at some of the firms who are hiring and paying out these top, top wages and you look at the balance sheet and you look at the books, one does wonder whether it can be sustained or do you think the demand will outweigh that, Garrett? What do you think? Well, I, I, as with all things financial, right, it tends to be very, very complex. I mean, my, my, what I'm observing and this is all obviously personal and anecdotal, what I'm observing is that while there are true-ups going on in industry where if, you know, an employee is being paid one apple by firm X and firm Y is like, no, no, that's a two-apple person, and they hire them away for two apples, well, yeah. okay, there's a lot of that going on. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say because it's the, the ones hiring them away is, is just throwing money at them. It's just that the first one really wasn't doing right by them. It's, it's supply and demand in the market, right? It's supply and demand. Um, but conversely, you know, you're seeing a lot of notices in LinkedIn about layoffs, where I think a lot of it was related to, well, we hire a bunch when we feel like doing it. And six months later, when we don't feel like doing it, we just kind of give everybody the kickstand and say, sorry about your life. And that's it. That that's more of a mismanagement thing, quite frankly, yeah. um, because you should have never hired half the people that you did. Whoever you let go, if you're letting them go in another six months, shame on you. Shame on you. Especially if you're the cash you're sitting on and your underlying profits are still sky high. But as, as long as you do a too. post on 
as long as you do a post on LinkedIn saying how sorry you are and how hard yeah, it was. Yeah, I won't, I, won't, I won't cry for you on cue today, but um, yeah. I've, I've seen some wolf. strange things, but that was that was one of the most egocentric posts I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, personally, I, I struggle with that not being a bit self-serving is probably the nicest way I can put it. I mean, yeah, I, I think I, that person had got on there with a crying picture and said, and here's what I did to try and help them find jobs elsewhere because I, I am actually broken up about it. I would have been yeah. like, yeah, good on you. That's awesome. But that part I didn't I didn't see in the post. So. No, anyway. I completely agree. Um, as usual, I'm, I'm digressing. And Aaron, who's running InfoSec Live right now? Good question. Um, you should be in there, Aaron, I think, while I'm doing this show is the answer to that. <laughs> um, let's go back to the, the original questions that I haven't even asked you yet. So we've got 15 minutes left. Let's talk about um, let's talk about some positivity, not false positivity like we see on LinkedIn. Woo! But the positivity around the successes, the successes you've seen throughout your career. What's your biggest one, Garrett? Uh, well, I, I think as as a CISO, and this really even predates my CISO dumb. Not that that's a word. Um, I've I've had a lot of experiences coming into an organization where it was kind of smoking crater in the ground from the the meteorite hitting, um, and they're like, hey we need a program to do X and I've done it for a variety of programs, supply chain, risk management, um, incident response, you name it. It's very satisfying to come into where there's a smoking crater and establish a program. Yeah. And it's extremely satisfying to be able to do that. Even when you have all the pressures and constraints of not having the appropriate staff are not really having the initial budget to do it. Um, overwhelmingly so I've stood up programs where none of that was really there and through the instantiation of the program and through trying to do, uh, repeatable muscle memory in doing the things that the program should be doing, it took years of, I'm honest, but the maturity on it went up quite a bit. Uh, you know, are these programs even where I currently work perfect? No, not at all. But are they largely repeatable? Do they have defined workflows? Do people know what their roles and responsibilities are? Yeah, for the most part, which is great when you go from nothing, you know, and I've been in a position to do that where I'm at. You know, I started with incident response. I got yeah. that firmed up, which makes sense because you got to be able to react, right? And then after that, I said, well, Looks like vulnerability management's next up on the docket. And then we put shape to that. And I'm still kind of floored by where we're at now with that, which is by no means perfection, versus where we were at when we began. It was a Saturday morning kids cartoon when we began. It was just not good at <laughs> Custom all. Eyes like, flowing everywhere. <laughs> so so bad that if I told anybody about it, they'd be like, no, come on, Gary, you're just being you know, a jerk or whatever. I'm like, no, no, it really was this way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of that. And that's not necessarily a look at me putting my thumbs underneath my suspenders thing. It's look at what we were able to do. Look at what you guys were able to put into place by following me on, on, on this and, and others. So um, I, think, I think that's what I'm most proud of, proud of really. I think what, what you said there is you're proud of not only what you've achieved, but what the team around you have achieved throughout that yeah. as well. And I suppose one other thing that's come up a lot with other CISOs is their some of their reliance on 
the outside technical assistance, the relationships they've got for, with people who aren't in the firm, but they've had long-standing relationships with who specialise in certain areas. And it seems when firms haven't got the, the staff in-house, there's a lot of reliance sometimes from the CISOs on those relationships. Is that the same for you or is it different? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have internal staff, but um, I don't have the level of staff to have 24 by 7 by 365 coverage. So we, we utilize a MSSP partner. Um, yeah. And uh, not all of those are created equal. That's an entirely separate video conversation. It's a whole new show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I will say this. Whoever you have helping you with anything, quite frankly, any third-party vendor, um, if they function as if they're a partner with you, and that's really the key word, um, they're going to be fantastic. That That's going to be something that's really great there. If they don't function like a partner and they don't even want to send their account executives unless it's a certain amount of money to talk yeah. to you, that's not going to bode well. And I can tell you when I came into my current role, we had one of those that uh, we replaced. I, I don't know if you heard the quote from the CEO of Ramfit who sponsored this show. If you're suffering from big four fatigue, <laughs> get in touch now. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> I, I, was, I was amused by that. I think it was kind of amazing. If you want somebody that's actually hungry for the work and will do it, come talk to us. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. translated that one just fine. I mean, yeah. I mean this, this, isn't, this isn't a pitch for them, although it should be really because I'm working for them, but they do do things differently. And whilst they're penetration testers, all of their engagements are long-term. So we look after national infrastructure, energy in the UK, and we have, I think it's nearly 50 technical consultants embedded within firms in the developer teams, in the compliance teams. And that's where they've won. And I think where they also win, I probably shouldn't be saying this online. If you're watching Lewis and this is wrong, I apologize. But where they also win is where they've got that existing relationship with the CISO. I suppose three-year cycle of the CISO, as it, as it could be called, they tend to go with them. And not only do they then retain the business they've got with the firm where the CISO was, but they're then moving across and, and picking up business from yeah. the new firm as well. Yeah, I always I always love telling the account managers that work with me, and it took some of them like two years to realize the first dollar revenue from me. And I said, "Hey, baby, this is a long tail experiment yeah, that you're messing sure. with here." I said, "And I just want you to understand that." Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 very valuable. But I, I will say because I see some of the comments that were being made there. Um, I don't give any infrastructure control over any third parties. I don't know that I'd ever do that. Uh, no. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people who are who who need to do that and have to do that, especially with MSPs where it's like we're managing all your technical estate, you know, your servers, your containers, your everything. That's a different story. I'm CISO and I'm an InfoSec guy, so I have the luxury of saying, no, nah, we're, we're not going to do that. Um, others are not quite as lucky. A lot of it has to do with is what it, you inherit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And and as cynical as it is, the company's attitude towards um, professional services and consultative support versus hiring somebody yeah. in-house. I mean, not that it makes any sense, but there's some bean counters who are like, yeah, you can spend $10 million on that outsourced service, but uh, heavens forfend if we hire one, 
you know, two hundred sixty. Well, we we all know why because it affects it affects yeah. the retained profits on the books, that's doesn't a, it? That's a commitment. You're like, what is a yeah. three-year contract? So it, a lot of it. Is you know just- what, Garrett? It's it's no different to um, local authorities. So when when uh, the government in the UK decided to outsource lots of stuff, lots of local authorities then went off looking for private tenders. Then what happened a few years later when they still had stuff in house? The, the way they improved their financial statements every year was by outsourcing. So they're removing the pension, they're removing the fixed cost of the salary, and they're putting that whole consultancy piece in a different bucket. So when they're then reporting back to whoever they're reporting, so they're, look how much cost we've saved. Yeah. But what they're actually doing is paying the private consultants twice as much as they were paying the employees. Yeah, it's a, yeah there's a lot of shell game there. So there is. Sure. Yeah. Not that, not that I'm cynical. I've come across as quite cynical today. It's been a long week with the children, perhaps. But well, I see yes. Aaron's made a made a point. He's got a question for you there. I'll just bring that up, Garrett. In your cybersecurity career, you said you did security testing. Until ten years ago, it was DDoS mostly or Trojans. Now that we are dealing with, hold on. Now that you are dealing with network, what would you recommend for people? Assembly, IDA, Hopper, Mac. Well, let's let's let me try and respond to that based on the types of attacks that we're seeing more commonly. Okay, and I don't know that this is going to be uh, revelatory to anybody, but um, I'm going to say this with my own anecdotal experience here, where I work with my team, the technical estate that I help to protect, and what we're seeing. Um, so, uh, ransomware is still giving everybody a colonoscopy um it's it's bad um you know the sad part about that is all right well you know when when people are getting owned by ransomware why and the answer that i say is well lack of due diligence lack of oversight things like shadow it people going off and saying screw it i'm going to do whatever i want they don't have any controls in place and they get owned um third your your supply chain right if um the organization is not doing what they need to do and you have active linkage for lack of a better word uh, they can be exposing you and i've seen all that kind of play out in real time um so that's still a bad one uh people gaining a foothold through phishing attacks is I know it, it might seem blase or whatever to talk about it, but it's still going on. It's still happening. Massively, it, yeah. it, it tends to, it tends to be one of the ways in which um, people are still very much trying to kind of quote unquote get in. So that that's a challenge. Um, I, I, you know, and, and even though uh, the, the commenter mentioned that the DDoS stuff is um, more of a concern 10 years ago i've i've seen an uptick in it recently i've seen i've seen ddos attacks not only on um networks that i'm privy to uh where we started having real and live conversations about hey what's a WAF?" and i'm like oh, let me tell you what a WAF is guys <laughs> while you're getting your rear end handed to you um but uh even in the news i mean there was a massive one the other yeah, this, day this week wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah, massive one. I think I think it was Google. Yeah, it was good. It. but 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 anyway, um, yeah, the those still tend to be the things that uh, focus the mind that I'm seeing the most of. Um, but you know, the long and short of it is the quote unquote bad guys are just trying to break in however they can. 
gain a foothold, move around laterally within your environment, wherever it's at, and uh, ultimately try and take command and control and do further bad stuff there. You know, and they're doing it for one of two reasons. Predominantly, it's financial, but a lot of them are bored and they just want to prove what they can do. Um, well, we've we've had we've had Daniel Kelly on, um, friend of mine, who's the Talk Talk hacker, reformed. Sorry, Daniel, Talk Talk hacker. So he was arrested when he was seventeen, I think, or sixteen, for what was then the biggest hack, UK telecoms hack, and that's why he did it. It was because no one was paying him attention. You know, things weren't going well at school, but he was proving his point, I suppose. And five years in jail beat that out of him, I think, and made him realize that it wasn't the way to do it. And I know he's struggling now because he's still got restrictions, obviously, because of what he's done. But he's now trying to give back to the industry. And I think in the end, he'll become a real asset to the industry. But again, it's it's back to education and you not just education in this industry, but education at schools. And here in the UK, we're fortunate the last two years, they've just introduced something called T-Levels which is the first technology-focused A-level um, further education. And my 17-year-old's doing that at the moment. And it seems to be engaging more children, not just in information technology, but in information security as well, and giving people a broader understanding of it. Because I think, I think it's missing. But then if you want to talk about the education system, you could then question why they don't teach you about paying bills and mortgages and all the stuff that would be really useful but if you want to be cynical that's because they're trying to turn us all into employees and drones if you read the conspiracy theory papers yeah yeah we won't we won't go there there was a that's a a different show as well garrett yeah yeah there's a there's a more of a joe rogan experience (laughs) yeah exactly there's a yeah there's a, a governor over here in the states who actually included some of that in in the education system and i'm like that's fine i'm just a little concerned about all the stuff you're trying to cut out but anyway yeah um, cover we've got a few minutes left let's drag in the last question susan um what is your view on tokenization data security reasons she's asking is something you've looked into due to the circo attack Ooh. um I, I yeah i'm i'm fine with tokenization where it's possible where it's available um I mean, I do I prefer encryption over tokenization? Generally speaking, yes, assuming that the strength of it is appropriate, whether it's at rest or in transit. Um, I, I find that that's kind of a next level question compared to where most people are at, because you're like, hey, what do they get? Oh, I grabbed that entire database. Was it encrypted? No, nope, sure wasn't. <laughs> Why the hell not? I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested, Susan, actually, because I know you're heavily involved in tokenization and I'll plead my ignorance here, you know, back to my rain jacket on my brain, but I would love to have you on a show to talk about that sometime as a separate discussion. I think that could be really, really good. You've got another one here as well, Susan. I'll, I'll bring that up too for, for uh, Garrett. Where's what, what's your views on backdoors? Well, this is a whole different question. I thought it was as reported in January this year, alarm bells started ringing while the hackers may have been using the Academy as a backdoor. Well, you know, what isn't a backdoor? Go ask solar winds about that. Right. Um, they were, their entire flipping company was a backdoor. Um, yeah. yeah, backdoors are are tough, right? Because when you say backdoor, I'm old school. I think about like maintenance hooks and Easter egg nonsense like that when developers are putting stuff in there. Like, or if you go up here and click on the letter J in the banner, you get to a secret web page and blah, blah, blah. Um, they're not good. Uh, generally, backdoors are for the convenience of whoever installed them or found them so 
you know, back doors are covert channels. And as a security professional, I'm not a fan. The, the biggest issue is not how do I feel about them. They suck. Uh, I, I will destroy them all. But, you know, I got to be aware of them. Right. So that's yeah. that's a challenge. And, and I will say that I've yet to see any combination of manual and automated approaches when you're doing assessments against, you know, web facing stuff, for example, that really help you to identify that, you know, most of our attention is on things, understandably, like, you know, you focus on input validation, as you should, uh, you focus on things like cross site scripting, and occasionally, you'll hear some discussions about buffer overflow. Yeah, but finding maintenance hooks and backdoors and, and, and applications is challenging, because the entire reason they call them backdoors is because they're not super easy to find. So anyway, thank you. They suck. They suck is my response. They they suck is the answer. It's a good one and a technical response as well. I'd like. Hackers are bad. You've (laughs) taken away so much in this uh, in this uh, chat with me today. So we're 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 over the hour. Going to have to wrap things up, but I want to just ask you one one last question, like a Columbo question, if you if you can remember. Okay, Columbo. Yeah, <laughs> Heart that'll go over the heads of most of our audience. But, <laughs> yeah, um, our age there. He, he was brilliant, though. I did love him. Um, yeah. What do you think the biggest challenge is for the industry for the next five years? Uh, for me, I would say the biggest challenge is getting people to understand what InfoSec is about, why we're here how we can help and to better understand what it is we do. I, I like to, I like to state it very simply. We identify, advise and consult on operational risk, period, end of story. If an organization or an individual understands that I get along with them perfectly. If they don't understand that there's friction. So if I had a magic wand, I would wave it and I'd say, everybody understand that? Now, board of directors, senior executives, end user, everybody. Do you, do you think, this is my personal opinion, not a representation of Bramfit, I suppose I should say that first. Do you think the amount of money spent by some of the silver bullet providers on marketing solutions make that more difficult for us as an industry to engage the C-suite? Or do you think I'm off track? Um potentially. Um, You have to keep in mind that the world in which I focus or the world in which I live is one in which the general response is that costs more than $50. Oh my God. So it's like, is your, is your, is, is is the fact that you're, is, is the fact that you're, you're falsely claiming that your product has AI when it's really just machine learning impacting that? Oh, we no. talked about we talked about that earlier in the week, and my guest Greg Vandergast on Monday actually dropped some names as well, which I wouldn't have been brave enough to do in this litigious society. Yeah, yeah no, no. I mean, hardly anybody out there is AI. IBM Watson is AI. Everybody yeah. else is just machine learning, and there's nothing wrong with that. But part of the problem is somebody went along and decided that AI is sexy, and that's what sells. Yeah, well, VC, VCs love it. You look look at the money that's been thrown into AI products from the VCs. Also, if you can put Quantum Ready on the bottom, you're in. I, you I hear, AI you, I hear you, man. And if NFTs, Web 3.0. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, we, thought, we talked about that yesterday, actually. And I was saying how my children have been conditioned for the last 10 years for Web 3, I suppose, in the way that, you know, it's when my 
now 17 year old when he was younger he was playing clash of clans and he was buying you know tokens or coins that meant nothing and then you've got my now 14 nearly 14 year old playing Fortnite and spending money on skins that don't mean anything yeah. it's, it's like we've been <laughs> we've been conditioned to start parting with our cash for real estate on the metaverse haven't we by by the way aaron aaron corrected me and he says no watson's machine learning as well and i'm like well i don't know enough about watson <laughs> Yeah, He's I, probably I, right. I mean, honestly, uh, artificial intelligence, if you don't have like an artificial neural network, it's not really artificial intelligence. So I guess Watson doesn't have an A&N. But yeah. anyway, whatever. You get the point. See, I failed as a marketer, too. We are all <laughs> Garrett, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And to everyone watching, thanks ever so much for jumping in the chat. It really makes a difference. And before we go, a couple of quick little plugs. I've got a new show running now called Which Cyber Pathway, where I'm looking for some guests that can be from people who've just broken in, been in the industry 20 years, hiring managers, recruiters. I want to try and dispel some of the myths or maybe not myths, practices out there at the moment and shame some people if anyone's up for coming on and doing that. And I've got another new one starting next week to shame even more people. You can see a theme developing here, I think, called How to Hire in Cybersecurity where we're going to focus on the important parts of the recruitment process and why some of it seems inherently broken at the moment. So without further rambling, because I'm ever so good at that, my mouth's dry, I need a coffee, the kids are making all sorts of noise downstairs. I'm hoping the microphone's protected us for that. Garrett, I'd love to catch up with you again at some point soon, maybe off camera or on, up to you. And everyone, see you soon. Thanks.